Thanks for checking out this episode of Business Black Belts. I really appreciate you listening and hope you get some great insights out of today's leader. Let's dive into the show. Welcome back to Business Black Belts. Laura Hoover here with you. Another fantastic leader graces with our presence today. Mr. Jeff Salter, the founder and CEO of Caring Senior Service. Jeff, why don't you go ahead and take us through a little bit about who you are, what you're doing, a little bit of your story. Sure. Um, well, it's now 31 years ago. I started a senior care business. I, At the age of 20, I thought that the uh, next step in my, my career would be to help seniors with the challenges of staying at home and trying to remain independent as possible. So I began working with families that wanted to have a caregiver come into their home to help with uh, cooking, cleaning, personal care issues, things of that nature. So uh, I found that I had a, a good knack for connecting folks and uh, started off with a small location in West Texas. And that just continued to grow and opened up a second, third and fourth location. Then in 2003, I began, became a franchisor. So today, uh, you know, kind of fast forward that 31 years. Uh, today, we've got 50 locations in 20 states and uh, helping thousands of seniors across the country uh, remain at home, independent, avoid relocation to a nursing home. And uh, it's just a great, great business to be part of. Yeah, I mean, we've all gone through or or will go through something like a choice of some similar nature i know um one of my grandparents went to a nursing home and then subsequently passed yeah. there and another one had the you know kind of stay at home kind of option um and eventually yeah. passed at home essentially but that, that it's something that no one really likes to think about but then we always have to cross that bridge because it's inevitable. Absolutely. Absolutely. What, what got you what got you into it? Because that's a very compassionate feel to get into. That's very emotional. <laughs> like you're dealing with a lot of emotions all the time. Yeah, yeah. They say you, you will all be caregivers at some point in our lives. And uh, whether it's uh, caring for a, a spouse, uh, a, a mother, a father, a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, we'll, we'll all do some level of caregiving at some point in our lives. And for me, it was, uh, I kind of fell into it. I was working in a home health care company, actually as a secretarial role in a, a home health company in 1991. They didn't provide non-skilled services, someone to just go with and be with someone for hours at a time. And I just saw that there was a niche and a need for people to be getting additional help. And so I, I just recognized that, that Having the skills of coordination that I did, the ability to connect with people that I did, I felt it was something that I could get involved in. Didn't really, I was originally in school for computer science. I was going to be a computer programmer, information systems. But um, once I got involved in this business, you talk about the emotions that come into this. Um, you know, sitting across the table as a 20 year old uh, with a 55 year old parent or, 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 or child looking for care for their 80 year old mother. Um, you know, put me in a unique position. And it's not very often that uh, someone at those ages would trust a 20-year-old to coordinate things. But I found that it was something that they, they were 
really needing and, and they were in some ways desperate for the assistance. And I just found that many, many families were dealing with this challenge. See, in America um, started probably 40 to 50 years ago. Uh, the idea of that that family unit and taking care of your grandparents really changed. And it changed in two ways. First, families moved away. So the children moved away from mom and dad. But also in America, you had a, a unique situation in a lot of ways in where the the actual parent moved away from the kids. You see that when people move down to Florida, move to Arizona, um, and it happens, it happens much more than people realize, and that creates that separation. So with that separation, someone has to help out. Someone has to step in and fill that need. And I found that that was a, a huge demand for it in the early 90s, and it's only continued to grow throughout this entire last three decades. And the numbers are actually staggering as you look for the next three decades, what this business is is going to grow, just the sheer population numbers. It's it's really staggering. And I think a lot of people aren't even prepared for the, the changing demographics that we're going to be dealing with, especially when you analyze that 80-year-old group. Um, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's amazing. So... Yeah, that's something else I was going to, you know, just about ask you was that I've heard a lot about that in the in the recent weeks, actually, about this, um, you know, the the population shift as COVID prematurely had a lot of people go into retirement or willingly or unwillingly. Oh, it's just a good right. time to go to retirement. It's become this oh no moment on like the employee front but then that's also going to be the oh no moment if we can support everybody who is going into retirement and is getting of age especially with ex better health care and you know expanding yeah. life expectancies yeah the you know i spent a lot of time a lot of discussion about the baby boomer generation has happened it's been yeah. um, over over a decade since they've been entering the over 65 population i've been looking specifically at the 80 plus group which doesn't get a lot of focus but for me and our business in senior care our average age of admission admission is 83.2 years old so we really want to look at that group of people. It's important to know what that population change is. And if you study it, you look at the last two decades. In the last two decades, about 1.2 million new entrants into that 80-plus group has happened, which is a lot of people, but it's steady growth over two-decade span. Well, in 2020 to 2030, that number almost doubles. So it goes to about 2.4 million people will, will become 80 in this decade between 2020 and 2030. And then in 2030 to 2040, that number grows to 5.3 million. So it's going to double again. And it's just, it's staggering, unbelievable numbers. I've been involved for as long as I have been. Um, even myself was a little bit surprised by that number. And it is because of all of the advances in technology, advances in medicine, yeah. allowing people to live older. And that you've got that huge population of baby boomers and as they age and get to those advanced ages, there's going to be a lot of work we're all going to have to do to figure out how to help them live their best lives. And that's something that you know, the baby boomer generation changed everything about America. They, they demanded more and they will demand more. And that's something that I don't think we as an industry in, in, in healthcare and in senior care specifically have been dealing with the greatest generation. Those folks that yeah 
had a certain mindset and expectation and they were almost easy to deal with in some regards. The uh, baby boom population will be present all kinds of challenges that, that none of us really understand fully just yet. Yeah. So, okay. You, you, you have the challenges of the shifting mentality in generations, right? You right. have the challenges of the explosive amount of population that are going to be reaching this need relatively soon. How do you begin to try and tackle those issues? Well, one thing that's a positive for us with this, with the generation that that's coming through is their adoption of technology is more, more positive. They, they, they look at it as something that will help them versus the previous generation doesn't necessarily fear technology, but it's such a change and a shift to what their, what their life was like. Really? So moving into healthcare and everyone loves technology when it relates to uh, expanding my life and going to extend my life. But as it gets into the areas of caregiving, we start dealing with privacy concerns. N nobody wants a video camera in their house to monitor them. But there are some really exciting, interesting technologies that are out there that are going to really help identify who needs help the most. And that will allow us to really rethink how we deploy our teams to help those seniors. Right now, we have a situation where if someone needs to be safe at home, it, the only real solution is to has, place someone with them uh, yeah. during that time when they're when maybe another family member is not in the home or they're on their own. But in the future, we'll be able to use technology in ways in which uh, allow us to understand when someone's most vulnerable. There's some really interesting technology from an infrared, it's more motion sensor. And there's also some really, really interesting sound technology in which you can play sound devices in someone's home. And through the sound that's going on, you can discover what's happening within that within that house. And and between that and motion sensor technology, you can see the patterns that someone has on their own. So you're not really invading their privacy. But when you see a change or a shift in pattern, then you can say, OK, there might be something here I need to investigate. You can call. You can send someone out to go visit. You can spend some time during that crisis mode or that time when they really need some assistance. So that's I think we're going to really have to rely on some of those things. We're, we're, we're not to the point to where we've got robots that can do the care, but that's coming as well. And I, I know people think that's kind of crazy, but the reality is that uh, it, it's going to be necessary. You, we, we try to look to, to countries that are in a similar situation, but we're behind uh, from a time frame. And you look at Japan as an example. They, they, they've been dealing with this crisis for over two decades themselves already. And so they're just now catching up and developing technologies that are really able to be deployed in other countries that will be dealing with this. Yeah, I know there's a, like a, already a lot of technologies out there that have already assisted almost like anyone in like a medical profession, like uh, the automatic like lift assists and, you know, sometimes on the more clunky side that is but like it, it it's yeah. still something that expands the ability of people giving care to be able to give the care that's needed is there anything else like on like the medical technology front that you guys are like front of the line with or do you kind of toe like we're not the front of the line we're like the next step Behind. Yeah, we we try to um, try not to be on that bleeding edge, but at times we find ourselves doing some of that. We were we were deploying this motion sensor technology nearly 15 years ago, but it really was early in the process, 
and the systems that they had at the time couldn't really um, keep up with what the demand was and and they kind of didn't work the way they do now. So it's been really interesting to see the technologies all got smaller. You used to have to put these large motion sensors in the house. You have to kind of network the house. But now with the Wi-Fi technology so easily deployable, the devices are super small. I mean, just really little things that you can put in the house that aren't even noticeable. And then the the back-end technology, the alerts and the algorithms and the AI that's built into these things helps determine where those emergencies really are. You had yeah. you had tons of false positives in the past, and that meant that you actually were creating more work for yourself than, than solving the problem of reducing the amount of work. And we're really going to need that to be continue to advance. Um, but there's even things as the you know, military right now and, and even companies – are using things like exoskeletons, which sounds crazy, you know, um, but those are designed to help someone that can lift a heavier amount than you normally would be able to physically and to reduce strain. So you can imagine a world in which um, a, a senior client has a list of items that they typically get for, um, you know, a, 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 a bath chair, uh, maybe a hospital bed in their house, and now mm-hmm. they're going to need an exoskeleton for whoever is there to do the lifting and moving when they when they're in that position. So um, those things are. I don't know of anyone using that right now, but I've been um, really keeping a close eye on those things because as the price comes down to reasonable, and as as you see Amazon trying to help their workers not get injured. Yeah. It's an easy to see how that technology can apply in a healthcare setting where you're taking care of lots of people and you need some additional help. And and the devices get smaller, they're easier, they last longer. Yep. And then they, right now they're kind of bigger battery packs, and it looks like uh, something out of a, a Terminator movie or something. But it'll get much much um, more uh, practical and affordable for for families. So I could see a future in you know the next ten years when that's kind of a normal piece of medical equipment that uh, individuals are ordering when they want to live at home as part of the process. So is the exoskeleton, uh, this is just out of pure curiosity, is the exoskeleton, I've seen like a few different versions. Um, Is it the like caregiver to patient help? Or is it more like the being able to extend the ability to physically move, pick up, and get up from the patient standpoint? Well, I think there's going to be both aspects at some point, but I think primarily where I'd be looking at it is from the caregiver aspect because you've got the shortage of caregivers. You've got to solve that, and you've got, let's say you have a um, 180-pound male or 210-pound male. You've got limited caregivers, and you need to be able to send any caregiver to take care of that client well not a lot of people can handle a 220 pound individual, even with yeah. a Hoyer lift or some other device in the home. Yeah. And there's limited limits where that can can go, those devices. So, you know, a caregiver that is a smaller frame caregiver, you uh, uh, give her the ability to lift that person using one of those devices. And it's a complete game changer, I think, for healthcare in general. It opens up to many more people can do the tasks then. And that's what we're up against as, a, as companies. Caregiver shortages are, are, the primary focus of every single one of our companies. I was just also asking you about that as well, because I, I have known three or four nurses due to COVID leave hospital situations and go into either private practice kind of situations yeah. or home caregiving situations like a traveling nurse. Is that becoming more popular or is that just 
it's still going to be an issue. Like I no think it's going to be – you're going to see individuals that are going to always navigate to a different segment of the workforce that they're in. A nurse in a hospital you know, is dealing with the front lines and, and the sickest yeah. of the sick. She she gets – you get tired of that at some point. You look for yeah. something else. Um, in caregiving, we, we hire individuals mostly that are certified nurses' aides or individuals who are able to care for someone and have experience in doing that. So it's, it's not that anybody can do it because I think you have to have the right mindset for it, but it does provide a lot of advantages to an individual in a, uh, in a facility setting. You're, it's a one to many. One person is caring for many patients. In home care, it's completely different. It's, it's a one to one. So I'm with one person for an extended period of time. If I do see a couple of clients, it's only three clients in a day versus that facility where I'm going from bed to bed to bed to bed to bed to bed, it can be very, very taxing. And um, some people enjoy that. They, they like the environment. You're at least in those environments, you're with a lot of other uh, other coworkers and you're interacting with people a lot. And, and that's the right environment for, for some people. But for many others, the idea of being one-on-one -on -one with a person, being able to focus all your attention and to really make a difference it can feel like that's a better a better environment, and I, I've found that most of our caregivers who who come to us have come from those settings where it's a one to many situation, and they really find that this type of work is much more rewarding for them. Yeah. So I want to toss a curveball at you, okay? A little bit. Um, stepping back just for for a second, you know. Ship is running itself, more or less. What do you do to kind of get away, de-stress, regroup at the end of the day or weekend or whatever time off? Yeah. I was at a conference recently, and they, they did a unique thing and put on the um, on the badge, like, activities you like. And I, I have on mine, I got a lot of questions because mine had bicycling and rugby. So um, I play rugby pretty uh, – Pretty actively, uh, not as much now. I turn, I'll turn 52 in about a month from now, so I've had to slow down on that to some degree. But that, through many years, was my was my main de-stressor was getting out on a rugby field and enjoying enjoying that activity. But um, wow. for me, the the big thing that's changed in the last uh, two years is in, in last year, in August of last year. I decided to celebrate 30 years of our company's founding, and we we created a we launched a movement in which it was to close the gap in senior care. And to launch that movement, it's now become a nonprofit, in which we're really trying to understand local communities where the gaps are in senior care in their communities. We decided during that launch movement launch that I would I would. And the celebration of 30 years in business that I would I would travel to all 50 uh, locations that we had, and the mode of transportation that I chose was to ride an electric bike. So for four months, I rode an electric bike to each and every location. I traveled 9,500 miles, and I chose an electric bike one is because it was a symbol of assistance, and I would not, I was not an avid cyclist before I started. I would not have ever dreamed of riding my bike that kind of a distance, but the electric bike gave me the opportunity to do that, that I would have not been able to. So we, 
we look at that and say it's the same thing we do. We we provide assistance to seniors so they can do something that might not have been possible. They might not have been able to stay home without the help of someone else. So for me, uh, it was it was fantastic. It was an amazing four months. It allowed us to raise money for a specific cause as well. Not only did we launch the movement, started a nonprofit, but we raised $170,000 to install grab bars into seniors' homes. And so far to date, we've installed uh, into 110 seniors' homes grab bars so that they can avoid a fall, uh, often very, very uh, detrimental fall. Falls are, in fact, the leading cause of injury-related death among seniors. And 80% plus of those falls happen in the bathroom. So what we're doing is installing these grab bars in a senior's home. So it makes it a little bit more safer in their bathroom when they're getting into and out of the shower and trying to really impact things in a positive way. But that love of, of bicycling that I've developed now is kind of continued on. So I try and, I try and get out and ride um, as much as, as much as possible. Often I'll do um, uh, 60 to 100 mile rides when I when I do it during the during the trip I did 80 to 120 miles every day for four months with only eight wow. days off the entire time. So wow, <laughs> do you do you still use the electric bike on on your rides or do you have you converted to like a road bike kind of situation? I actually still use the electric bike because it just allows you to get that much further. You travel a little bit faster, probably about five miles an hour faster than you would on a regular bike. And you can take a break when you want to. So it really just allows you to go further, allows you to explore more. I, I like that side of the the road riding where you can just get um, yeah. get out and about. You know, it's it's something that is enjoyable. I enjoy mountain biking, downhill biking as well. Those are fun. But I live in um, here in San Antonio, Texas. There's not a lot of really great places to go and to get away for a full day. Um, and uh, the electric bike lets me get out in the country and see all kinds of things. So. Yeah, I get that. It's it's pretty flat down there too, right? Like it's fairly, or if anything, well, it's just rolling. It's rolling hills, and uh, surprisingly, there are some spots. Uh, any, it, it's kind of funny when when uh, when you become a bicycler, bicyclist, and you're doing road cycling, you suddenly discover that there's a lot more hills than you realized. <laughs> a lot more gentle hills. I used yeah. to be uh, an avid biker. My my family's always been avid bikers. I like um. But ever since I got like a series of knee injuries, I've just kind of fallen away from it a little bit more. Sure, uh, sure. But no, yeah, there's a... a lot more hills than people realize because it's all gentle slopes up and gentle slopes down. And that yep. gets tiring after a while. Yes, yes, it does. It does. I don't think people, when you drive in your car, you don't uh, recognize how much there is to the terrain. Exactly. Especially in the flatlands, people don't realize it's not actually flat. Yeah. <laughs> there's contours absolutely it's hard to see them but you can feel them yeah i was uh it's funny i was in nebraska and on the you know most people think of nebraska they think of it flat cornfields and i was i definitely experienced on the east uh in the eastern part of of that country it is very much um hilly and then you yeah. get to a one point where it just flattens out all the way to Denver. And it was pretty wild because it was really, really flat from that part of the country. But outside of that, there's lots and lots of hills. <laughs> yeah, there's a very, very like narrow strip right through the center of the country. It's yes. Like, this yeah. is a flat. Everything else is flat. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
All right. Well, I want to thank you for coming up on Business Black Belts. If anyone wants to get in contact with you, learn more about you, learn more about Caring Senior Service, is LinkedIn the best way? Website? Email? Yeah, they can find me on LinkedIn. Obviously, Jeff Jeff Salter on LinkedIn, Caring Senior Service um, on the website. My information's there, and uh, uh, happy to happy to share any stories or any advice I can with anybody that's either involved in senior care or want to get involved in in some aspect and uh, hear more about what we're doing. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It has been an absolute pleasure. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. And then same to all of our listeners. Thanks again for listening to today's episode of Business Black Belts. Should you want to see more content on both the show, marketing, and business in general, feel free to check out my LinkedIn. Thanks. Thanks.